0: The View from the North Curve, a fairly regular podcast covering all things North Curve Celtic. I'm your host Kev, I'm joined by Tony and by Connor as usual. We're now joined again by Mac, eh, who's came along again to speak with us eh, for the second part. I hope he's all enjoyed part one, where we gave everybody a wee sort of insight into the groups. Uh, links to Palestine um, for the early years all the way through um, to more recent times, uh, and this episode we're looking to speak with Mark again his own sort of personal experiences um, going to Palestine um, and moving into the sort of the Celtic stuff. So what we'll do now is jump into a wee quick break, um, and we'll come back and we'll speak with Tony and with Mark. <laughs> So troops, that's us finally here, uh, we touched on a lot of stuff, hopefully gave everybody a kind of good insight into the, the history of group, you know, the links to the Palestine stuff. Ada Celtic project, uh, maybe better, Mac, Ada Celtic was set up, would have been last year,
1: Well, two m- years ago? To be honest, no, it was, like, when we raised all that money eh, for... Medquid for Palestine and the Laje Centre. Uh, basically, our thoughts at that time were, well, we don't want to just hand over all this money and then that's the end okay. of it. So we thought, well, we've done something pretty amazing here. Yep. Why not try and create something which is going to last forever? So it's, it's basically got a legacy. So with the Laje Centre, because we've already got that existing relationship with them, we had the idea of starting this football team called Ida Celtic. So in, in terms of that, the Lazio centre already had like a, a football team of kids through to like youth. Yep. So essentially, we already had something there to play with. And what we want, or what we were trying to do, was just rebrand them. So rebrand them in the sense that we're giving them an international name and an international following, because we're then relying on like Celtic supporters the or the I in the hoops. Eh, those who are sympathetic with Palestine in general, but then can also, they'll recognise the name Celtic, they'll recognise the green and white hoops. So that was our idea, we'll, we'll rebrand the existing team into either Celtic, and we will hopefully get some support from the Celtic support uh, in terms of uh, funding them. And what one way, you said last year, because last year was when we finally got things up and running, uh, it took a bit of time and we got the football strips created. So the idea behind the football strips was one, to make sure that the team were fully kitted out and a quality strip to play in and two, to generate much needed funds Mm. uh, for the football team. Because although we we raised an incredible amount of money, it was kind of strange for the Laje Centre because prior to that they were funded, at least in part, by the UN. And other eh, agencies. However, because there was so much publicity surrounding the money that we were giving them, a lot of that other finance just aye. So I suppose that's maybe like the kind of cutthroat side to like charity. If people see or think that you're getting a lot of money from one particular avenue, then they'll start thinking, well, perhaps we don't need to give you the same amount anymore. Mm -hmm. So. A lot of the money that we gave them went to like much-needed improvements within the actual building, like where they're, they're based, and also developed the big playground, which uh, the kids have got there. So that's where the, the most of the money went. And so basically through the football strips, that was a source of income which we could bring in to then properly support the football team in terms of paying costs for like pitch rentals yep. and uh, like travel costs and like, equipment what mm. uh, like stuff on the ground that they need, like any sort of football club mm. would need. You
2: were talking about the, um, the football strip and that there Mac, uh, the photo that I saw online was, or the photo that always I saw online was uh, Bobby Gillespie, Pringle Scream and Shane McGowan, two absolute legends with <laughs> uh, the tap. Um, And then on on the, obviously you've got the green and white hoops which is recognisable but on one of the hoops it says a number of names, Uh, could you just tell us kind of people listening, what's the crap with that, what's the the script with the name, can I? Aye,
1: so a number of names are a a fashion distributor based in London. I would say they're pretty hip and exclusive so not a lot of people would be familiar with them unless they're maybe into like fashion, I think. So basically, one of our guys who's involved with the Green Brigade, he's friends with the owner of this company. And when he heard about like, what we were doing and try to set up a football team in Palestine, eh, he was like very supportive of that. And he, he offered to basically produce the strips and design them for us. So that's why we've ended up with like, a quality piece of like clothing. I mean, the MD who's bought the strip... Yeah, I what should say that we've night. still got them available on IdaCeltic.com. Have we got? But yeah, so he, he produced the strips, he funded the entire first batch. So you're talking 300 football shirts mm-hmm. and also the full kits for the, the team and in Ida. So he put an, an awful lot of money behind it. I mean, couldn't thank him enough. Mm-hmm and he's still producing the kits. The only difference with the kit at the moment is like the current uh, the current release is it doesn't have a number of names on it now. And basically the only reason for that is because he totally funded the first run, so he put his name on it. The second run, uh, because we became like, self-sufficient now with the money we've made off yeah. the back of the first run, we are now uh, putting up for that. And his name's no longer on it, but he's, he's still fully behind the project and supporting us. Uh, different ideas in the pipeline.
2: So see with the the, the shot smack on the, the Instagram and the Twitter posts and that. Uh, there's been plenty of wee videos, uh, like kind of preteens cutting about with the, mm-hmm. the tops in that one. But there's also be ones a uh, little older, kind of people like ourselves, but older kind of guys playing and different st- and stuff like that. So how how exactly? Does it work? Is is there kind of youth teams? Is there an adult team playing? Obviously there must be major restrictions for them to get about the camp or are they, they just kind of practising and
1: camping now and then they're going to try to expand and get a league set up? Or Aye, so it, it's essentially like an academy. So you have your like young teams. So I think maybe the youngest might be around about like, seven or eight years old and then it goes up to an adult's team. But like you were saying, there are major restrictions and difficulties in terms of getting them into leagues so at the moment i don't think that they're registered within an official league mm-hmm. however they are participating in a refugee league at the moment so we're trying to get some updates and content uh, coming through in terms of like uh, the matches they've been involved in a lot of the stuff we have at the moment is like kind of internal like, training stuff mm-hmm. so that's just the stuff that you've maybe been seeing on social mm-hmm. media uh, we hope to get more uh, footage coming through to keep people up to date in terms of uh, like actual matches getting played. But like I was saying, there are major like restrictions and complications. Uh, even just moving about like within the West Bank, they c- you could be stopped at any point. And uh, in terms of like official recognised leagues, a lot of it's kind of political and like, bureaucracy. Yep. So again, that's difficult. But I think the most important thing for us at the moment is just... The next challenge
0: for the Green Brigade.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But for us, the the fundamental issue behind this is creating funds to send to the Lajie Centre to give the kids through the adults a chance to play football, Mm -hmm. uh, a chance to be able to rent parks to play their football in, uh, give them equipment, etc. So essentially it's all about fundraising uh, to give them a chance to to play football really. So,
0: Mac, just to bring you in again, mate,
1: you you mentioned earlier on um, about,
0: you know, going over yourself and, you know, seeing things firsthand and uh, you'd said to me there about you're due to go back over quite soon. Um, Do I just give everybody a kind of insight into your own experiences for being, you know, going over there and and what everything's
1: like? Aye, so it was March 2018 was the, the first time I actually went to the Middle East and that was Lebanon. So basically, a few of us went there like purely for a, a holiday, a yep. uh, bit of a strange destination <laughs> to most maybe, but uh, it was actually amazing to be honest. But one of the things that we did whilst we were there was we visited a Palestinian refugee camp. So, uh, Lebanon being where it is uh, it borders Israel or what should be Palestine, and there are like millions of palestinian eh, refugees in lebanon so we visited one of the refugee camps called burj el barajni and it was grim like it was i suppose it's kind of what you would expect Mm -hmm. a refugee camp to be like in terms of just right narrow alleyways Mm -hmm. which were like their main roads and like everything was built up the way. So it was just like block on block on block on top of each other. Like no health and safety or whatever. Mm. Uh, Electrical wires just hanging like from everywhere and anywhere like down as low as kind of head height. Just terrible sanitation and like kids just running about playing, cars kind of driving up and down the streets. Mm. Just, it was just a pretty kind of grim experience. But it was a real like poignant Experience as well because it made you sort of experience firsthand just how poorly some people are living, yep. and, and they're refugees, Palestinian refugees who are like living so close to their homeland mm-hmm. but they can't yep. even return to it. And it, it should also be said that although there's so many Palestinian refugees in Lebanon, they are treated terribly like they're second class citizens, even in Lebanon, mm-hmm. despite Lebanon perhaps portraying to be pretty supportive towards yeah. Palestine. They've a kind of a backward way of doing that, I think. And uh, one of the sort of highlights of being in that camp was we just got speaking to people and uh, we, like, we struck up relationships uh, just through football, through Celtic. And they immediately knew who we were when we were telling we were from Celtic the yeah. game brigade and they were able to bring up pictures of the stuff that we did for, That's like, match of Fine stuff. So we got speaking to a couple of guys, and then they took us, like, further into the camp, and they took us to, like, a, a wee kind of football club's HQ. We were sitting in, like, a little trophy room, and then in comes, like, a young football team, and they'll shake our hands, we sit down, we talk about football as you do. And then following from that... We obviously took like, contact details, and we were able to put uh, them up with like, a set of Celtic strips. Brilliant. So that team, uh, I'm trying to think of their name, I've actually got a strip in, in the house. Uh, Making fire online.
0: It's another thing we can tweet out uh-huh.
1: <laughs> as we're uh, doing now. Aye, so we set them up with a, a set of Celtic strips. And, uh, we sent them money for like equipment, like cones and balls I mean, and stuff like that, uh, football boots as well. Mm-hmm. So it was just a, a small thing of nothing, and it was just because they knew who we were or what we'd done, mm-hmm. and we were able to then kind of return a small favour like for, for them. So I that was that was pretty pretty special. But from that, it made me want to then visit Palestine uh, itself. I've, been, I've Always wanted to visit Palestine. I've always had this interest about like Middle East history and, yeah. and politics, and experiencing the refugee camp in Lebanon. It just kind of gave me that push to actually uh, go to Palestine. So it was a year after uh, I I made the trip to Palestine, and the sort of real purpose of that was to kick off Ida Celtic. So although it, the idea was all already there and it'd been spoken about and stuff, it never really got off the ground. So, the following year, so it was, was March 2000 and... Uh, 19? 9. Uh, right. Would that have been right? A couple
0: of years ago, well, nearly a couple of years ago. I think
1: I've maybe got my years wrong here. No. No, it was this year, aye, March
0: 2019.
1: Aye, last so year right? aye, sorry. Aye, so... Aye, so I went over uh, to Palestine with another boy in the group and the man behind the football strips, uh, who's got the company, a number of names. So we went over with the intention of doing a lot of promotional work uh, for the uh, football kits and for Ida Celtic in general. And it was just an unbelievable experience. Uh, Really quite emotional at times. I think probably the the sort of the most kind of touching moments with just like playing football with the kids and mm-hmm. uh, just playing in the street with the kids. I uh, So when you're in uh, Ida camp and you've got the separation wall which runs like a right angle and part of that wall was actually built through the refugee camp so the refugee camp was already there and then they built this.
0: Meant to separate them but went straight through it.
1: Yeah uh, so it, it, it's it's pretty grim but like I was saying in regards to kids, it's 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 mental that how happy and content they seem. Yep. Despite their surroundings. They've got this like big grotesque wall, like basically just surrounding them for their for their lives. Mm-hmm. And these walls have like uh, army like checkpoints within them. Yeah. So you have sometimes you'll have the soldiers at the windows with their snipers. Just kind of like moving them back and forward. Most like the kids are just playing football, and yet they're just going about their business. Mm-hmm. And it, it's it's quite it's quite inspiring. But I suppose the flip side of that is you then look at some of the adults, and you you get a total sense of hopelessness, which is quite strong mm-hmm. to experience firsthand, because you just get the sense that that's that's their life. That's where they've. They've lived their full days in this refugee camp, and they're going nowhere, mm-hmm. and they'll never go anywhere because it's never going to change. And from speaking to a lot of them and a lot of the people who are actually involved, in terms of like the various like community groups and stuff like that, and that's how that's how they feel. Uh, they they've always get that admirable passion and like desire to like fight back and fight for their rights and stuff but I think a lot of them just think it's impossible mm. they, they're they just up against too big an, a, an opponent and too powerful an opponent yep. and it's, it's it's quite tragic
2: Would you recommend for if folk could get there to go over?
1: Absolutely If they've uh, got an
2: interest in the situation in Palestine
1: and I, I mean I, I'm I'm not exactly selling it. I don't yeah. think, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, but it was it was hundred percent the best experience of my life. Yeah. Uh, it's it's really grounding. It really gives you a real kind of sense of what's important in mm-hmm. life, in in the world. And I'm I'm supposed to be going back in March, so I mean I, I can't wait to go back. Uh, as, as much as a lot of it was quite sad and grim, it's equally like very inspiring and, and, and powerful. Well, that, that
2: kind of shows you knowledge, but you're, you're, you're kind of painting that kind of pure bleak picture right there. But when you think of what day, we can do, how people say that football can change people's lives, you know what I mean? I, and I, even a banner in the ground can give some a wee I mean, spark, I, I. Or if you can get people, because you, you imagine that the mental health issues that we've got mm-hmm. here, then it must be Aye. A hundred times worse there for punters. Uh, and if, you know. think if you can get people out playing a bit of football mm-hmm. and different stuff like that, then it'll make uh, a major difference just, to
1: people's... Uh, even on that, and kind of going back to how powerful some of the stuff that we've done over here has like echoed over in that world, I was actually in Jordan before going to Palestine, and I went to see a football match. Uh, so there's a, there's two big clubs in Jordan, one of them's called Al-Wadat, and they are the team of the Palestinian uh, refugees in Jordan. I think there's about 2 million Palestinian refugees in, jo- in Jordan. So this team represents them. And they've got an ultras group. So naturally I was kind of uh, drawn to mm-hmm. go and see this ultras group speak to them, being that's what I'm into. Yeah. And I was quite taken aback because I was looking at pictures of them online and then I was seeing them in person. And they were all wearing green and white hoops. Mm-hmm. But their team doesn't wear green and white hoops, so as I'm getting speaking to these guys, I'm yeah, asking, "What's with the green and white hoops?" Yep. And they're all saying, "Celtic, Celtic." <laughs> Brilliant. So this this ultras group, this fan group, have made their own t-shirts based on Celtic, even though their own team like, doesn't wear <laughs> doesn't wear that colour or, or, or that design. I didn't know uh, that, mate. so I've, I've I've actually got one now. Uh, so it's it quite uh, quite humbling. Yeah. And uh, when, I, when I first met these guys, and I got I got speaking to a couple of them, and next minute there was a big crowd around me, and it, everybody just going, oh, Celtic, Celtic, yeah. Palestine, Celtic. And they're showing me all the pictures of, of the stuff that, that we've, we've done. So, aye, yeah, it, was, it was quite, quite special.
0: So, Mike, you, you'd mentioned about going back over. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd heard there's a bit of running involved when you're-
1: Aye. <laughs> so, b- basically when I, when I was there last March, I, I decided to take part in the, the marathon. I only did the half marathon, but I only decided the day beforehand that I was doing it. I didn't even know it was, it was uh, happening. Obviously yeah. we were there to help kickstart the Ida Celtic stuff. Mm-hmm. It just so happened we were out one morning and I got to speak to somebody who was saying that she was taking part in the marathon the next day. And then I just thought, why don't, why don't I get mm-hmm. involved? And uh, I thought it would be a good fundraising uh, exercise for Ida Celtic. Yeah. So that's what I did. I, I signed up to run the half marathon, uh, and ended up raising I think it was maybe like a few thousand for for Ida Celtic. Just just in the space of like maybe a couple of weeks. We, we kept the fundraising going for a little bit after because yeah. obviously I only decided late in the day. Mm-hmm. But. Uh, even running a marathon was just completely emotional. Not just through pain of uh, <laughs> doing a half marathon yeah. with, with no training, but the marathon itself it's prob- probably unique in terms of any other marathon because it, it can only... It's a Bethlehem mar- marathon. Well, the official name is Palestine Marathon, Freedom of Movement, yep. and it takes place in Bethlehem. And obviously Bethlehem has got this apartheid wall, which runs eh, across it. So the marathon itself has to loop on itself. It can't do a full marathon in terms of the distance because they don't have the space. They've got a big wall. So it was a great way of actually seeing like the full of Bethlehem. Yeah. And eh, you go in and out a couple of different refugee camps and you've got kids in the, in the streets just cheering you along and it, it's a major like, international event there's like thousands of people there from yeah. all over the world and everybody's cheering each other on and uh, so i then just when you're running in, in that environment and you're thinking about where you are and what's going on around you it, it does get quite emotional i was kind of close to tears <laughs> at that point but uh, i did sort of commit to returning to do the full marathon. I'm, I'm intending to return there, the uh, 27th of March. I'll be doing the full marathon. Fuck's sake, that's fucking scary. <laughs> uh, I've, I've, I've basically just started running again since Christmas as well. no not looking forward to it. But... How many miles a full marathon? 26. 26 miles. Oh, fuck that.
2: Uh, <laughs> scary. So is it just yourself
1: going over? For, for fundraising wise? I think it's just myself taking part. Yeah. There's possibly two or three of us going over. Right. Uh, but I, I'm sure within the next kind of weeks or so, we'll get some fundraising going out. All money going towards Definitely. either Celtic. Aye, so the marathon's on the 27th of March. Mm-hmm.
2: And you'll be doing a bit of fundraising. We can stick the fundraising Another on one the one head with, we with can if you want, mate. Keep everybody updated.
1: Yeah. So, so obviously, you, you go over there and you. you You know right away that things are going to be quite heavy and an eye opener. But my first uh, night in the camp, there was a prisoner release. And when I say prisoner, it was actually a a 15 year old boy, I think, uh, being released. And basically, what they do when there's any prisoner release there is like those closest to him, so maybe it's like his father or like best friends or whatever, they'll go to the prison and collect them. And then bring him back to the camp and there'll be a celebration so what happened then was after this boy had been collected there was like a a cortege of cars which basically took over the streets of bethlehem so ida camp itself is like right on the edge of bethlehem Mm -hmm. it's not like right in the sort of main town of bethlehem but Basically, all the like cars from the camp just went wild on the streets of Bethlehem, and they were just like tooting their horns and eh, like revving their engines yeah. and like screeching their brakes against the tires and stuff like that. And the car at the very front of this like cortege of like, vehicles had a big, massive boombox just blaring out like Palestinian rebel music, and eh, from. Basically every car, you had people hanging out the windows just shouting and like praising and like, celebrating. Uh, most of them waving red flags, and the red flag was of the PFLP, right. the Popular Front for the Liberation of Palestine. Because I got that one right. <laughs> uh, so, so basically this uh, specific boy, he came from a family who are aligned with the PFLP. Uh, Within the camp, there'll be various different uh, political affiliations. It just so happened that was his. So the cars then moved from Bethlehem, sort of main town, into the refugee camp, and they approached his street. So everybody was there ahead of him, and he was at the back now, and he was basically brought in to his street, so outside his his home. Just like a a very kind of narrow... Uh, a alleyway with sort of high, not high rise, yeah. but like blocks just built on top of each other yeah. because obviously, in a uh, kind of like narrow, confined space like that, you can only build up, mm-hmm. you can't build out the way. So they came into his street and there's red button everywhere, red flags everywhere. All the like women and girls of the camp were like on this st- outside his home and they had like drinks and coffee and cakes for everybody. Uh, the music was blaring, this boy get lifted onto the shoulders and just passed around everybody and he was singing and dancing. And it was really quite strange and emotional. And one thing I'll never, ever forget is that the guy I was with, the guy I was staying with over there, he made a comment to me. And what he says was that he knew that boy before they get arrested. And then seeing him now, he's, he's not the same person. Hey. So basically what he was telling me there is, he's been in jail, he's a 15 year old boy and he's spent the last two years or so in jail Mm and in Israeli adult jail. And he would have been tortured and he probably hasn't seen his family in all that time. And he could just tell by looking into his face and his eyes that he was gone. Like he he was different, he was changed forever. And then the second thing, which I'll never forget, was then he had an, an embrace with his mother and his grandmother. So he's he's been danced around the shoulders and he's getting flung up the air off all of his, his friends and yeah. stuff like that. But then he comes down and he hugs his mother and his grandmother. And it's just seen that, it was yeah. just like, wow. It's it's mental. I mean yeah. I, I couldn't imagine going to jail for two years now I mean a fourteen year old boy who would have been tortured yeah. inside. So my final day in Palestine Uh, we took a trip to Hebron and this was the day after the marathon so I was in absolute bits and we'd actually planned to go earlier in the week but it was difficult because the guy that uh, we were staying with he was going to drive us however his car was stolen so that would perhaps lead to difficulties. Yeah, uh, <laughs> just <and> a bit. <laughs> when, when, I say, when I say stolen, it's, it's not as if he's like some mad criminal. It's actually the done thing in, in Palestine. Uh, basically, like the Palestinian Palestinian territories are surrounded by these illegal settlements. And these settlements are just cropping up everywhere and anywhere, and they're getting closer and closer uh, towards the like designated Palestinian territories. Yep. So what you get is you get brave Palestinians who will venture out into these uh, illegal settlements like through the night or whatever, risking their lives obviously if, if they get caught they're getting shot and they'll steal like motorbikes and cars and whatever they can get their hands on. They'll bring it back to the Palestinian territories and then they'll sell it to people like, at affordable rates. Yep. So a bit like kind of Robin Hood I would say. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, anyway... Um, so, how did your man's motor get plugged <laughs> in? i thought, well, he's obviously bought it off somebody who's <laughs> went who's out and ventured.
0: We'll need an update, we we'll need an update <laughs> when you come back the next time.
1: So, how did we get to Hebron? I think we, we got a shared taxi uh, down to Hebron, but uh, Hebron's quite a iconic and famous part of Palestine because it's one place where you really do see apartheid in action. Because the streets are literally segregated, so like one side of the street could be set aside for Israel uh, Israelis, another set uh, side of the street is for Palestinians. So as we're in sort of like downtown Hebron, it's really just like any other like Middle Eastern uh, city or town. Like for anybody who's been or seen a Middle Eastern like Arab. City very kind of busy, like eh, on the street markets and bazaars. Eh, very loud hustle and bustle. Eh, so much energy in there. Yeah. And then as you move away from that and you approach what's referred to as like the old town, and actually like, the old historic like city walls, and like, where the real sort of history and culture is. So what used to be like the sort of like main focal point of the town, it just gets quieter and quieter and quieter. And that's because you're approaching like the traditionally nicer end, yeah. which has just gradually been taken over by uh, Israel. So as, as we approach this, the crowds just start to vanish and the shops become quieter or they're closed down. And to actually enter into like the old city walls, you need to go through a, a turnstile system. So this is you going through the Israeli checkpoint and it was easy enough for me because I had a a British passport but the guy I was with he was a Palestinian so he eh, got a a few questions eh, or whatever and then we we eventually got through but as we passed that checkpoint it was just a ghost town like literal nothing there there was maybe a couple of like Palestinian shops nobody in it there was nobody walking the streets there was no cars it was just mental it was it was quite bizarre mm-hmm. so we basically went a walk around a big loop because he just wanted to show me uh, this place and yeah. how kind of uh, strange <sighs> it is and it was, it's weird i remember looking at one building and if, if you kind of picture an apartment block and there was an israeli flag in every window and then there was just like a one in the corner which had a palestinian flag mm-hmm and basically that's just a sign of what's happening there, like that full building was Palestinian and just gradually like Israelis are moving in and they're taking it and there's just that one Palestinian eh, person who's just been stubborn and he's not moved out yet, but by now he's probably gone, yeah. but probably eh, totally Israeli now and walking around that area, eh, some of the streets you'll have like, a, a metal like, iron fence where basically you can't cross because that's the Israeli side. Right. So you could see like, Israelis walking down their side of the street, and uh, although Palestinians could be on the Palestinian end, it's just like ghost town because so many of them have just gave up and sort of moved out yeah. uh, of that area. And uh, that was the first time I had a proper encounter with the Israeli defense uh, forces. Yes. Uh, the soldiers. So basically we're just walking around that area, just having having a look. He's sh- obviously shown it to me and these two young guys, probably 18, 19, so very young, they, they call us over, start asking what we're up to. But just so, so cheeky and kind of aggressive and in your face. Uh, not so much with me, but obviously with the guy I'm with. Yeah. Quite a big guy, older than me. Uh, clearly. Palestinian and just giving them just total total grief and just the way they looked at them, the way they spoke to him and then they would ask me like who are you, papers, shows your papers and then the, the way they spoke to me as well, it was just like really grim, I just absolutely no respect yeah. and it it just kind of like it sums up the total kind of Hopelessness, I think, because you've got young young guys who are in that position of just total power, like standing there, like with all sorts of weaponry, and they've just got absolute no regard for for a Palestinian. And, and then thankfully we managed to move on from from them without any great hassle. And then we met a couple of young Palestinian boys, and just had a wee kick about with them in the street. So it was just it was small moments like that that just made things yeah. like quite powerful and, and memorable because you've got a couple of young kids there who they are just getting on with life. Mm-hmm. They, they, they don't know anything different and they're just quite content kicking their ball along the street. So it was, it was really quite, uh, quite special. And then as we moved on and we left the old town area, so we went back through the, the, the turnstile, the checkpoint, and we've then encountered a, a group of Israeli settlers. So basically they were getting a tour of this area with the view of them moving in. Right. So basically they got they a total like armed guard of uh, soldiers, like all their guns and stuff like that. So we we're just standing there watching them getting this tour around this, this area because obviously they want them to move in yeah. and, and take it over. And the guy I was with there got recognised by one of, the, one of the soldiers. So he actually approached us and uh, the guy I was with is a photographer and he's well-known with an IDA camp. So there was a clash in IDA camp, maybe like a year or two previous to this, where he got shot in the eye and he's got, he's got a big scar which goes around his eye. And the one of the soldiers who was there recognised him from that day. So he came over and he started giving him grief. And because he's a photographer, he goes everywhere with his camera. Yeah. Because it's also, I suppose, it's one way to try and like mitigate any type of uh, like harassment mm-hmm. or a uh, possible kind uh, like of you know, has- hassle that, you hassle that they yeah. could get. He claim he rips his camera, says photographer, press, etc. Yeah. So that's what kind of happened there. And I don't, I don't know if you've seen the, the, the small video that I took, but I was videoing it at the time. And I was videoing the, the young girl who was a soldier. And then I, I, I turned the camera back. She's got the big camera right in my face. And it was no. uh, quite a funny moment. But uh, it, was, it was quite a, a grim uh, way to end the trip, I think, but just totally real. like Huge eye-opener. Aye, I, I mean, as, as much as I would, I would really encourage any, anybody who can to go over there and in, see in, in C- Palestine and... Experience it. I mean, the, the people are amazing. Like, you will not meet a friendlier, more more hospitable uh, people uh, than, than Palestinians. Even across the Middle East in general, uh, anybody I've encountered over in the Middle East have been like that, uh, but especially in, in Palestine, because it's as if they're, they're really grateful for you wanting to come over yeah. and uh, learn about their culture and meet them and just show them basic support and uh, solidarity. A bit of respect, do not it? That's brilliant. Big time. So I, I would 100% uh, recommend it yeah. to anybody. As much as it might sound grim and it won't be everybody's cup of tea, there are moments that will live with you uh, forever. Maybe got a few folks signing up to come and they ask Mara
0: from me once you put this out. <laughs> Could do a yearly hanging off cover running. Yeah, running. Ah. So, I think troops will just kind of round that up there. Uh, just a big thanks. Again, I thought that was absolutely brilliant. Matt coming on, he's kind of put me and Tony's previous ones to a bit shame there. Uh, but no, I thought that was magic. So thanks to you, mate, for coming on uh, and taking the time to give everybody a wee better insight to, you know, both the sort of history for the early days of the group and the the support and the links to Palestine stuff, um, and then your own experiences, you know, with moving on there to the the, the Celtic stuff, and, you know, your your uh, own experiences over there, um, and we'll need to get you back on um, in time to give you a wee update how you got on. Uh, I, uh, if you finish your marathon, <laughs> see, where, see where that boy's car ended
1: up. Aye, if, if I make it back one piece, it end up now. Me, really dope.
0: <laughs> definitely, mate. No, but... Uh, just big thanks to everybody for tuning in again. Uh, the the viewing the the numbers and stuff that's been coming through has been been magic to see, and, and hopefully you're all enjoying, uh, you know, listening. Is Blair Oda Pish for the most part, but no thanks, guys. Um, and stay tuned because we'll hopefully have a, a few more episodes coming out soon, uh, covering you know a lot more different type of stuff. Cheers. Thank you for your solidarity. We love you, Siltek.
1: Thank you, Siltek. Thank you for all the people who support Palestine.
0: I love Celtic.
1: Thank you, Celtic. We appreciate all what you have done. Thank you very much. Celtic!